And so uh, it was in the 2016 Olympics. And it was in the 5,000 meter women's event. And I had to look up how exactly how far is 5,000 meters. Well, it's 5 kilometers, so that's 3.1 miles. So it's a distance race. And two runners, one from New Zealand and one from the United States, unfortunately collided. And so both runners went down. Uh, the runner, Hamblin from New Zealand, was able to get up on her own power. Uh, D'Agostino, the runner from the United States, uh, was was more, uh, she was injured, and so she wasn't getting up under her own power. And uh, sports writers from, that were covering the Olympics from all over the world wrote articles about how in this incident, in that instance, that this runner from New Zealand embodied the Olympic spirit. Because after all, it's a 3.1 mile race and she could have kept on going. The one, the runner from New Zealand who was able to get up under her own power and keep running. But instead, she goes to the fallen American and goes to help her up. Goes to care for her. Now you think about an event like this. People train. Right. You used to wake up someday, one morning, and decide, I'm going to run in the Olympics. No. People have to train. They have to go into, you might say, a strict training regimen. Because they've got to prepare their bodies to be at optimal peak performance. And so when people are training for an event like this, uh, they, they train by altering their diet. They train by all the, all the hours that they put in learning how to run, how to control their breathing, how to run at a distance, but not just to finish, to run in such a way that they can have a chance to win. And then you think about the Olympics. Because lots of events you could say, well, uh, that's okay, I'll, I'll do better next year. But the Olympics is what, church? It's every four years. And so for a runner who has a lot of time left in the race to catch up with the field and maybe pass other runners, but then for them to say, you know what, this woman that I collided with is down and I'm going to go help her. It is showing some very unselfish, very caring behavior. And so uh, news writers from all over the planet talked about this event at the time as to how this embodied the Olympic spirit of coming together and competing in the best possible way. And we are... Finishing, uh, concluding, I should say, a, a series today called Daily Reminders. And we started this uh, last month and we looked at what it means to grow spiritually. We spent one Sunday looking at what scripture tells us about the need or why we should seek to grow spiritually. And then we spent one week uh, looking at, at one way to exhibit spiritual growth is to have a thankful attitude, to be gracious people, 
And when we are people who exhibit gratitude on a daily basis, it becomes a habit. And we know that there's two sides of habits, right? Either a habit is good or a habit is bad. But we all have habits whether we realize it or not. And exhibiting gratitude, being gracious toward others, is something that is a good habit and something that will allow our light to shine before others. It allows us to grow spiritually. Another thing we talked about a couple weeks ago on the how we grow spiritually is by our thoughts. We talked about meditation and not the kind of meditation where we sit cross-legged and, and we hum or anything like that, but the kind of meditation where we are meditating on things. We are, we are thinking about things intentionally. And that when we meditate on things, that we fill our thoughts with things that are healthy. We fill our mind with healthy thoughts because when our mind is full of healthy thoughts, thoughts that bear good fruit, then it doesn't leave a lot of room for the negative stuff. The stuff we shouldn't be thinking about or the stuff that brings us down. The stuff that we might share with other people and bring other people down. And so, here we are, for example, on a beautiful Sunday morning. Now, as Rick mentioned in his prayer, no, there are people that would like to be here that can't. But boy, isn't it a beautiful Sunday morning out there? Isn't it a great day to be alive? Isn't it a great day to be in the house of God? Steve led us in some upbeat songs where we could give praise to the one who spoke this universe into existence. Who created us, as the psalmist tells us, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if we are people who are intentional about looking at the best side of everything then we are people who are letting our light shine before others and we are people that are a joy to be around. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends and relatives, the people standing uh, behind us or in front of us in line at the grocery store, at the bank, wherever we might be, the people around us in the stands at ball games that we are able to let our light shine before others on a daily basis. And when we do that, we are exhibiting the results of spiritual growth. And I gave that example of running a race. And running a race is something that is mentioned multiple times in New Testament Scripture. It's not a concept that's foreign to the ancient world because they certainly had their ancient games in which they would turn out and see people run for a prize. And so a couple of Scriptures I want us to look at, one being in Hebrews 12, the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight 
that slows us down. In other words, strip off the sin. Strip off the negativity of life. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the proper place of honor beside God's throne. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, those folks who compete in the games, whenever you all turn out for the games that, that, that you watch, and those runners run, the ones who get the crowns, what are they getting? They go into all that strict training and compete, and what's the reward for that? It's this wreath. It's this wreath made of leaves. And what happens to that wreath? It's going to wither and die after a few days, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks at the most. But it's going to wither. It's going to die. And Paul says, but we, we're running a race to get a crown that doesn't perish. We're running a race to get a crown that is going to serve us for all eternity. And he's saying, if people are willing to go into strict training for something that is so temporary, then why, look at us, all the more reason for us to go into strict training for something that is eternal. Something that never perishes, spoils, or fades. Something that lasts forever. Let's take a moment and meditate on that, church. Wrap our minds around that. Eternity, y'all. Forever. Forever in the basking in the light of God. His revelation tells us there's not going to be a need for a sun, right? On that other side of glory. What does Revelation tell us about the source of the light? That it's going to come from God. That God will be the only light we need. And think about that for all eternity. That's an amazing thing. And so isn't that worth training for? Isn't that worth preparing for? Isn't that worth working on? in our own lives. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. 
bigger you go. That's a happy little section of Scripture right there, isn't it, church? Yeah. Paul, one of those places where he's speaking the truth, right? He's saying, hey, you know, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a day, and it's going to come. We don't know when it's going to come. We won't have some ongoing warning. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Just when you least expect it, it's going to be here. And while people are saying things like, hey, peace and safety, then destruction comes on them suddenly. But see, then it gets to be the good part right here. The happier part. Verse 4, for those of us who are children of God. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And see, what's going on in this place called Thessalonica? Uh, It's a place where Paul didn't get to spend a lot of time. Paul would go into a place and you would, we would often see in the book of Acts, when he would arrive at a new place, he would go first to the synagogue. That was often his first point of contact. Paul was a very educated in the law. He himself had, had been a Pharisee, uh, knew the law well, and so he could speak that language of Judaism. He could go into the synagogue and he could meet some people and make some friends. And then we were told, were told in Scripture over and over again that then he would use the Scripture. And the Scripture of their day was what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And he would use Scripture and he would reason with them. And he would highlight all the places in the Old Testament that it prophesied the coming Messiah. And so, and so Paul would do that typically, and then he would often uh, work as a tent maker, and then he would spend a year, year and a half, two years with those people, strengthening the church there and appointing elders before he left. Now, Thessalonica is the exception to the rule. Because he gets to Thessalonica, and then riots break out. I mean, things, you can read about it in the book of Acts, things don't go so well in Thessalonica. And so Paul is in Thessalonica for a matter of weeks before he has to move on. And the people, not only they run him out of town, but then then they made an effort to follow him to the next place to run him out of that town as well. And so the folks in Thessalonica had a lot of questions. They had a lot of questions about salvation and and what about those people that were already... uh, 
what about those people who have already died? And what if they're not? Uh, what if they're not alive when the Lord comes back? And so Paul has to write to them to comfort them and encourage them. But one thing he says here is he writes this as an encouragement, and then he says, "Encourage others with this, as I know you are doing." Because he gets reports from the churches. And Paul understands that, boy, these folks in Thessalonica, they're an encouraging bunch. Considering, he's thinking to himself, I would imagine, considering I had no more time with them than I did, they have managed to keep their faith going. They've got questions, sure. Questions that I could have answered had I stayed there with them longer. But, boy, bless their hearts. They are a positive and encouraging bunch. And church family, why would we not be a positive and encouraging bunch of people? Children of the King, the one true God. And He loves us so much, not only that He allowed Jesus to lay down His life on the cross for us. But that also, that we would have a peace of God dwelling within us in the Holy Spirit, church family. Oh my goodness. That's how much God loves us. And so He encourages us to put forth the effort to grow spiritually. Now, we give away lots of Bibles around here. We give away those little tiny testaments when we dedicate our babies at the end of the year. Uh, we give away Bibles to first graders. Uh, I think Miss Stacy is giving away some Bibles this month, maybe even today, because Children's Church, they, they kind of phase out after they complete third grade. And so those that are just started fourth grade, she's going to ha- award some Bibles and kind of graduate them from Children's Church. And so we give Bibles when people are baptized. We give Bibles when people graduate. So nobody can ever say, boy, the church, whole and all Church of Christ never doesn't give out Bibles because we do. Many of you uh, have been are given a Bible at some point in time by the whole and all Church of Christ. And if you need a Bible, come see me. I got a whole shelf full of them. Uh, at our upcoming men's night, I'm thinking I probably need to pull some of those Bibles that don't have my name inscribed on the front of them and, and give a few of those study Bibles away. That would be a pretty good, pretty good door prize for our upcoming men's night. But here's the point I'm trying to make, y'all. We can give out all the copies of God's Word that we can, we can stand. But... It's up to the recipient as to what they do with that copy of God's Word, isn't it, church? It's up to the recipient as to whether or not they take the time to open that and to read what it says. And we... we often give out study Bibles so the the Bible uh, can be complicated in places I'll be the first to admit that and so we give away those study Bibles a lot of times so people can look at those notes they can look at the margins look at the bottom of the page and it helps bring meaning and context to what they're reading but if all 
that Word of God does is sit on a shelf and gather dust. And I know some of you can say, well, I've got my iPad and I've got my iPhone or my, my Android phone, my smartphone. And, and yes, that's great. If, if you're ingesting God's Word uh, through electronic form, that's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to suggest something. I don't know how many folks we have that like to listen to podcasts or like to listen to books on audio. But I found on my Audible app, The Bible in a Year, and some of you are thinking, wait, isn't that a Catholic priest? Yes, it is. Okay, that's Father Mike Schmitz. And so I listen to Father Mike Schmitz read the Bible to me when I'm out at the industrial park walking. Why did I choose a Catholic priest? Because he's got a great voice and because he covers multiple chapters of Scripture with amazing efficiency. The man has a gift, okay? And uh, am I turning us Catholic? Well, of course not. Uh, that's the farthest thing. You know. But Mike Schmitz, the good news is Father Mike Schmitz is not turning you Catholic either. Okay, I've listened to this man enough and uh, he has read to me countless chapters of scripture. But it's yet another way that I'm spending time than listening to the word of God. And then he, when he finishes it, he says a little prayer. And I love the way Father Mike Schmitz prays. It sounds like a prayer we could hear at the Hornwall Church of Christ. And then Father Mike Schmitz explains, puts into context the scripture he has read for that day. So it's 365 segments of scripture every single day of the year. And I like the way he talks about the Word of God. At no point does he say, hey, y'all need to be Catholic. He doesn't do it. He just says, here's what today's Scripture is telling us. And if you're looking for a way, maybe there's other podcasts out there that you think are better, that's great. I'm just suggesting this as another way. Busy people, if you are on, if you've got a commute, this is a way to plug this in. These segments are usually about 20, 25 minutes long. And then you have a way of listening to God's word each and every day that you might not have thought of before. But it is one suggestion, one more way that you can reinforce time in God's Word. And so as we begin to conclude our time together today, I bring us back to this idea of running a race. 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8, Paul is at the end of his ministry. And so this is very likely one of the last letters that he wrote. And so he writes to his young protege, Timothy, a young preacher that he is encouraging. And he is saying, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have remained faithful. Now, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Some translations say, who long for his appearing. And church family, I've spoken before about getting to that point in life 
where I said, Lord, come quickly. Where I said, Lord, I'm ready now. Because as much as, as much as I would like to see and experience on this side of glory, you know, the Greek islands, okay? I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I, I would love to go, some of y'all have been to Yosemite. Maybe you, you've gazed upon El Capitan. Or you've been to Yellowstone or Glacier National Park. You've seen some of God's majesty that he spoke into existence. And I think that's cool. I've lived out west, but we didn't go to a lot of national parks, okay? We went to a couple when we were in California. But there's a lot of this, of this, just this nation that I'd still like to see. I want to take a trip up to New England. I've never been to the six New England states. But you know what? If I never get to see any of that before the Lord comes back, that's okay. Because I know that what awaits us on the other side of glory is going to be far, far, far more amazing than anything we can see or experience in this life. And church family, I hope you join me in getting to that point where we say, Lord, just come on. Lord, come quickly. Lord, we're ready for you right now. Come on. But why does Scripture say that He waits? He waits to give more people an opportunity to turn to Him. And that's where we come in. Because it is people who have grown spiritually who are going to be more prepared and more willing to seize those opportunities to tell other people about the good news of the gospel. Other people who have grown spiritually who can, in those moments, that they can be salt and light in someone else's life. They can be a source of love, a source of encouragement, a source of sacrifice. Someone who says, I'm going to stop running my race because I'm going to help somebody who fell down over here. I'm going to be unselfish for a moment. And I'm going to help somebody else. And church family, when we do those things, we are showing the love of Jesus Christ. And we are letting our light shine before others. And if we seek to do that, God will open doors. God will present avenues in which we have an opportunity to tell other people what God has done in our lives. We have a way to say, this is what God has done for me. Or we have a way to say, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And you know, if you're really wanting to be a Christian, if you're really wanting to act like a Christian, I don't think that's the way to go about it. God's Spirit gives us the words to say in those moments. But we're more prepared to seize those moments and look for those moments if we are people who are working on ourselves day by day in strict training, running the race of salvation, running the race of our Christian walk. And if we are people who are seeking to grow spiritually, 
to not just sit back and say, you know, my ticket's punched. I'm going to be someone who just absorbs Christianity. I'm going to be a consumer of religion. Because that's not what God calls us to be. He calls us to be a participant. A runner in the race. A doer. And so may God help us to be those people. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet started the race because you've not yet proclaimed once and for all, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He gave His life for me. Then we're going to sing a song in just a moment and give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation because we are in fact inviting you to come this morning. We're inviting you to come and once and for all put on Christ in baptism. And if you're with us this morning and there's something that's weighing on you, something that you need to kind of unburden yourself of, that you can have a body of believers praying about something with you, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing. Everyone needs.